Okay, today we have a treat in store for you. Uh, if some of you would have been with us last year and we experimented with a one-off, we thought was going to be a one-off, of a team teaching session. Does anyone remember that? It was epic, wasn't it? So we loved that so much that we were like, we have to make this a regular part of our calendar. And the reason why we, oh, I'm getting waved at. Go for your life, Mitch. We've got the baskets that are going to come around as we're kind of kicking off. But the, um, one of the things that we really highly value in the vineyard, and particularly here at Coast Vineyard, is that this is a place where we all get to participate, right? There we go. And, uh, and so part of that is giving people opportunities to continue to step out of their comfort zones into things that may be going to stretch them, give them opportunity for growth, to learn new things. And so today we're going to hear uh, this morning from three people and tonight we've got another three. You're right there. <laughs> Still in one piece. Um, another three people tonight at Night Church. So you're going to get two lots, uh, two teams, and they're going to... Um, speak into 1 Corinthians 13, but we're going to have three different people's perspectives in learning and experience and what God's been speaking to them about. And then tonight we're going to have another three. So it's an opportunity for people, uh, for some of these speakers, they've actually done this before. For others, they've hardly ever done it. And for some, it's their very first time. And, uh, and so I know that we're going to be super supportive of them because, uh, what is it? I can't remember all those studies that say that, you know, public speaking is near to death, you know, experience in terms of the fear factor. Um, and so for anyone that comes up here, it's often like a very deep breath moment to get going. And so uh, we're going to start Tash, who is our new intern. She's going to read First Corinthians 13 for us. This is the part where you can breathe, get rid of those nerves. Why don't we welcome her? Hello. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tash. I'm the new intern. And yeah, I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, is, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see to face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even, if, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
All right, so the first of our speakers this morning that uh, is going to come up is Mr. Barry Tremaine. Where is he? All right, come on up, Barry. Give him a big welcome, big Coast Vineyard welcome. He's brought his groceries with him. <laughs> All right, bro, all yours. Morning, all. I'm Barry, and um, my lovely wife, Faith, is up the back there. <laughs> um, everyone has a story, and uh, I'd like to share a little bit of mine as it relates to 1 Corinthians 13. I started, started out in life as an unwanted child, an orphan, and separated from my mother at birth. I spent nine months in a baby's home waiting to be adopted, into a family, which was better than plan B, otherwise someone else would be standing here today. <laughs> I never bonded with my adopted mother. I didn't like her touch, her smell, and consequently I rejected her. I had nothing in common with my adopted parents, and I felt like there were two generation gaps between me and them. I always sensed as a child growing up that something wasn't right, and uh, I was a loner. I wondered what life was about and why I was here. As a teenager, I had a strong desire to build an aviary and breed budgies. My parents said no, but I built it when they were away one weekend. <laughs> and I even m moved my mum's um, two favourite flower pots in front of it to soften the blow. <laughs> they, they actually liked it and it stayed there. Um, <clears throat> in high school, I took art as a fill-in subject and found I had an artistic flair when I got high marks in my exams. I painted flat out uh, for two years exploring my uh, new talent. I also wanted a Siamese cat, but my parents didn't like cats, so that was that. Just remember those things for later. Um, I often experienced anxiety, which felt like being dragged down a vortex into a black hole with nothing to hold on to, a sense of dread, darkness, nothing. When I was 16, my sister, uh, this is my adopted sister, became a Christian after some tough life experiences and she brought me a living Bible. I didn't believe in God and I challenged him, if he existed, to reveal himself to me and part of the deal would be that I would seek him. So, Matthew 7, 7, ask it will be given to you, seek you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. To you. So 10 years later, after trying out Scientology, the Unification Church, which is the Moonies, the J-Dubs, various books on the occult, Eastern religions, I even joined a UFO club. <laughs> I, I don't do things in halves. <laughs> At 26 years of age, I had a born-again experience in a Baptist church one hall one Saturday night after being invited uh, to watch a movie, and the movie ended up being my life story about a young guy, parties, girls, booze and music, because uh, that's what I did to fill my void. I did a real good job at it too. Uh, the Holy Spirit uh, revealed my brokenness and I was led, led in the sinner's prayer and I invited, to Jesus, I, I invited Jesus to come and live in me. I remember the feeling, it was like drinking a bottle of bourbon and I felt happy 
everything seemed to have life. Leaves on the trees, the cloud had a shine, clouds had a shine I hadn't seen before. And I was experiencing another dimension, a spiritual dimension. Um, oh well, the overhead's not working. Uh, Galatians 4.6, um, it's all good. I don't think I'll read all these scriptures out. Um, yeah, Galatians 4.6, um, because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In Romans 18, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into God's family, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Um, see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is who we are. And John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Yeah. So there's a parallel between being an orphan and adopted into my earthly family and being an orphan spiritually and then being born again and adopted into God's family. I went to church for two years and I loved worship but because of my brokenness and my lifestyle, I felt I wasn't good enough to be a Christian. I also had no mentor, so I stopped going. Three months later at 28, I found out that I was adopted. I didn't know who I was. I had another name, Martin Wayne Severinson. And I didn't know who my parents or my family were. My life was wreckage. I moved to Christchurch to live with my birth mother and full blood brother in their home to find out who I was. I lived with them for over 12 months. My, my birth mother loved art. She was also a keen budgie breeder <laughs> and she gave me a Siamese cat that she had knitted for me. Um, So those are three things that I have from my birth mother. Um, I, met, I even met my birth father once, I didn't like him and he didn't like me. Um, my birth mother said that she was now my mother and I told her that, that even though I didn't have a connection with my adopted mother, I was loyal to her, that she had been the one that had cared for me even when I was sick, so I told her that I already had a mother. Um, but that she had a special place in my life. After my brother and I moved out to do our own thing, my birth mother committed suicide. So that was one of the most painful experiences in my life, losing her twice. She was 60, uh, 59. I married a broken person like myself, and together we had Sam. Um, 13 years later, my first wife, not, not that I collect them, uh, left me for another man. Um, my life was now even worse. But all this time, 16 years in fact, the Holy Spirit was showing me stuff about life and prompting me to surrender. Hebrews 13:15. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So, 
on the 1st of January 2000, I quietly made a New Year's resolution and surrendered what I had control of to God. And I ended up being invited to Vineyard West Church by our family hairdresser, Adele. I went up for prayer and the person who prayed for me suggested I should go to Living Waters, so I did. This was the beginning of my healing journey into God, which continues. But I'm not the person I used to be, and one of the reasons Sam became a Christian was due to the change he saw in me. God also challenged me on my attitude to my adopted mother and changed my heart towards her. She's lived with us now for the last three years. You've probably seen us bring a grey-haired old lady to church from time to time. She'll be 96 in January, and I can say that I love her. So there must be a God. <laughs> um, I believe that God never intended my, la my life to start out the way it did. It was simply the result of living in a fallen and broken world, but he has been involved in the detail all the way. I love the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, from the beginning, God intended that, we, that he would be the source of life and provide everything we needed. We just had to be and enjoy our relationship with him. When our ancestors disobeyed God, they were kicked out of the garden and we were all orphaned at the fall. Then we had to do, and that's been the problem ever since. I believe that God's love is uppercase, capital L, capital O, capital V, capital E. It's unconditional love, whereas human love is lowercase and conditional love. We are image bearers of God, but broken image bearers, and our love is, is a distorted reflection of his love. Jesus was the perfect image of God and our template. He modeled God's love, and when he pours his love into our hearts, we can love ourselves and love others from the overflow. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus tells us, tells us that we only need to be concerned about doing two things, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and secondly, to love your neighbor as you want to be loved. That's a pretty simple job description. It's all about <laughs> our relationship with God and others. There's nothing in there about judgment, is there, when you think about it. Um, 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice so we could be reconciled to him. And of course, good old John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4.8, simply God is love and the cross is God's perfect expression of his love towards us. So if anything I've said has touched your hearts, uh, I'd love to pray for anybody afterwards. sharing a life story in 10 minutes but uh, if you ever get a chance to have a chat with Barry there has been just an incredible uh, journey of God's incredible um, love power you know redemption and um, and I, I get inspired every time I talk with Barry just about just in terms of his love for God and and uh, and, and who who he is in God so, so thank you all right, everybody, we have next up Mrs. Karen Bailey. Yeah.
Hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kieran. I'm an educator. That means I teach people, children mainly. <laughs> um, I teach early childhood and primary. So I'm going to share with you from the context out of which I work um, because 1 Corinthians 13 is very much um, the methodology that I work out in my everyday life with these kids. So I want to broach three aspects of love today. Love is selfless, love is an action, and love is steadfast. I want to start um, with that scripture in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is selfless. It starts with loving God first, and then you love others, and then, of course, we come last. My work is to love children, children whom others have rejected, children who have heard or received the message that I am stupid. No one cares for me. I'm a failure. The world isn't a safe place for children who have experienced shame and condemnation. In order to do this work, First of all, I have to know that God loves me because these kids are going to say and do some really horrible stuff and if I don't know that God loves me and that I'm loved by him, then I can't hear and receive the things that these kids need to be able to share with me in order to be loved by me. And we love because God first loved us. So I can't do the work of love if I don't first know that God loves me. So, for example, um, I'm going to have to use pseudonyms because um, the children I work with, I can't disclose their names. So, I'm going to call this boy Bob. So, Bob starts school. He goes five mornings a week at the age of five, and after the first week, he stood down. That's it. The school can't cope with him. They've pushed him out. So, I, long story short, Bob ends up with me. So, Bob turns up, and he looks at my smiling face and he tells me he hates my smile. My smile is horrible. He looks at me and he says, your breath stinks. You need to see a doctor. There's something wrong with your breath. <laughs> and these are the children that desperately need to know that they are loved. For example, on Friday, another boy I'll call Jimmy Jimmy had a terrible day. He wants to be close to us, but then he needs to reject us. He shouts at us. He yells at us. And he says to me, he says, do you like me? And I said, Jimmy, if you have a um, good day or a bad day, I will always love you. I will hold on to you. These children, all they know is fear. Fear is their constant companion. But we read in the scripture, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I am able to model and exemplify Christ's love for these kids. And what a privilege, what a blessing that is. So love is an action. It's something that I do. Love is seeing the person in front of me and acting to meet or being moved to meet the need that I see. For example, we'd have a preschool parent come in, slip disc in her back. She's in terrible pain. She can't lift her kids. She can only have physical contact if she's put herself in a secure position. 
She's just fallen through her open deck that's in need of repair. So I rang up Peter, and I say, Peter, help, please. And he sends a team of men around, and they put her deck back together as much as they can. <laughs> um, another lady, I, uh, we see a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren. Another lady, speak to her on the phone. She's concerned about her operation. She needs to get to hospital, but she doesn't feel safe to drive herself. Ring up Trish. Trish, any chance you know of someone or you can get this lady to hospital? Yes, I'm going this afternoon. I can take her. So love is an action. It's seeing what needs to be done and acting on it. I'll babysit. I'll bake. I'll wash soiled clothes. I'll do whatever I can to lighten the load of the children or the families of the children who God brings to us. I want to reiterate the message that I see you. I know you and I understand. In James 2, 15 to 16, we read, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? My love and my work resonates with the, works, um, with the words of Jesus, and this has become my mantra. In Matthew 9.36, we read, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And when I first took on Bob, um, you know, he came to us. He's a scary kid. He's he called me every expletive, <laughs> and, you know, under the sun. I heard things I'd never heard. Um, I was kicked. I was head-butted. I had things thrown at me, and he was very accurate. But, <laughs> but in all of that, love is steadfast. I knew that if I was going to make a difference in his life, I had to hold on to him no matter what. No matter what he said, no matter what he did, no matter how I felt, I knew that God loved me and I could therefore love him and hold on to him. I want to love as he loves. I want to love these children who all they know is fear, failure, rejection, abuse, neglect, maltreatment. To do that is my privilege. And I can do... In Romans 8.35, we read that nothing separates us from the love of God. So I don't want anything they do to disqualify them from my openness, from my loving friendship, nor my family relationship. For example, Bob, back to Bob. Bob gave us lots of stories. We're in the classroom, and after a while, Bob starts to care about me because I've always cared for him. So he starts to attack me a little bit less. But he knows that my youngest son often sits on my knee and that we share, obviously, a mother-son relationship. So if he can't attack me, he might just attack my son. And so we're in the classroom and he throws a shoe, full tilt, hits my son square in the back. And he's hurt. So in the moment, I embrace my son and I plonk myself on the floor and I gaze 
into the eyes of Bob. But I gaze lovingly. I gaze with a heart full of compassion because he is, after all, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And as I gaze into his eyes with a smile on my face, despite the fact that my son is crying in my arms, wounded and hurt, I hold him in that gaze for what seems like eternity. And eventually he slumps back onto a beanbag that was on the floor behind him. And he says, why do my teachers always love me? And in that moment I know that my steadfast love, which is God's steadfast love, um, has held on to him long enough to sustain the connection and to say, you are loved, you are welcome. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. He left, he criticised his father, he spent his inheritance, but his father stood with arms wide open to receive him when he chose to come back. God's love for me is steadfast. Therefore, my love for these children will be steadfast. I will display compassion. In steadfast love, there is healing. Nine months later, piggybacking Bob on my back, which was always an excuse for a cuddle in such a way that he didn't need to concede that he was cuddling me. And he says to me, he says, Karen, I don't ever want to do anything that sends me away from Rocket School. His first school experience was five days, five half days, and they pushed him out. They stood him down. You're not welcome here. And after nine months, he concedes he doesn't ever want to do anything that would send him away. Love is steadfast. In the Bible, it says, Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friend. But I believe God wants us to go one further. It's easy to love your friend. In Luke 6, 32, it says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful. I've seen the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Thank you. very welcome to talk to Karen uh, and find out more about what she does. Could I just say too that um, she's, the, the school is just in a place now where they are, are needing uh, a facility um, and it's not like a big, like just, just the size of a small house really is, is, is what they're looking for and so I just thought I'd throw out the, it out there because some of you may just know someone or know of something and um, so if you've got a, a, a sniff of a, a possibility then please do pass it on. But um, yeah, it's remarkable what, um, what uh, they do at that school. All right. 
Speaker number three. There he is, Mr. Paul Aram. Come on up. He tricked me. He normally sits on the bleachers. He tricked me. All right, Paul, all yours, buddy. I like your shirt. Thank you. How we doing? You all right? Ready for a bit more? I was just uh, thinking that this morning's a bit like chocolate. Has anybody like chocolate? Has anybody had the, um, that Kit Kat, uh, what do they call it? The big Kit Kat one with three different blocks. Kit Kat Chunky, I think it is. This is like the third chunk. So you've had the first two, slightly different. This third one will be slightly different again. And it makes me smile because myself, from the UK, um, I've been in New Zealand now for about 20 years, uh, also married to a beautiful woman who you'll hear more about shortly. Uh, she knows, by the way, so this isn't a surprise to her. <laughs> um, and there's a certain amount of irony. A Kiwi bloke talking about love. I mean, does anyone find that interesting? That she'll be right, mate, kind of attitude attached to a British stiff upper lip. It's kind of an emotional recipe for disaster, to be honest. But we will press on, and we'll see what comes out of this. So love itself, it's a real simple four-letter word, right? It's quite difficult not to spell correctly. But in terms of the, the human experience, it's a real heavyweight. It's a real heavyweight. Once you've been touched by love, true love, deep love, there's no going back. You, you get ruined by love. I used to think of love when I was a bit younger um, as the whole feeling and emotion and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is where my wife comes in. How I met my wife, the ladies will be going, yes, I want to hear this story. The men will be like, oh, no. (laughs) Um, So, to cut a really long story short, our eyes met across a room. I know. And we found this out a bit later, actually. So at the time, it was one of those moments. Our eyes met across the room, and um, I was, and we kind of saw each other. And that moment where your heart skips a beat, you know, the, the leg starts to go a bit weak, well, that's sort of what happened to both of us at the same time, which was weird. Um, the next thought that crossed my mind was, and this is no lie, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a real problem. <laughs> I know weird, huh? Now the issue had been we'd just signed up for two years to go on a missions trip and you signed up for the first year to have no relationships. So this was like day one or two and we were in deep trouble. (laughs) So the feelings, the feelings, it was all about the feelings back then. Um, Time has progressed. We've been married for almost 20 years, right honey? Yes. 9th of August, I remember the day well. (laughs) Weirdly, we have three weddings, but that's a whole different story. Um, now, nowadays, it's still a feeling, but there's more. There's more than just a feeling. There's action and there's words and there's things that you do. Um, you know, it's for my kids and for my family. Occasionally, it might even spill over towards my friends, but that's, that's tough for a guy, right? It's tough for a guy. But I've been really thinking hard about love. And there's a few things that have hit me. One is, you can't take love. You have to be given it. Um, 
It has to be offered. And at that point, the person that's been offered to either accepts it or rejects it. I know, quite deep, right? I was quite surprised by myself thinking that up. <laughs> um, it's, it's love is capable of extraordinary acts of strength and yet can be injured in a heartbeat. And I know just about everyone, I'm sure, has been bruised by that love injury. Today, and thank you so much for whoever, whoever read that out, um, today we look at love, and it amazes me that love is this pillar, central pillar, above just about all else. And I forget the spiritual gifts, which is quite something. Um, forget all that. Focus on love. Um, that verse, or those verses, we've heard them so many times in weddings, right? And I know when I was looking at this, I was thinking, it's a bit strange, really, because you've got all these spiritual gifts, and they're saying, forget the spiritual gifts, focus on love. And we hear this in weddings over and over again. But what they're doing is they're trying to explain love. They're trying to explain what love looks like. When I read this again, I was like, oh, surely it doesn't fit in. You know, It's been pulled out of context because this love is massive. It's such a big representation. But then the more I thought about it, actually, this is a really good representation of love in a marriage because it's all about being selfless, I think, Kieran. That's what you're talking about. It's all about being selfless. All about, it's all about the other person. But, you know, you get the feeling that even the Bible, even these words in the Bible, it, it, it's like they're, they're being stretched to come around this thing called love. It's not that simple. I mean, how do you put words around love? C.S. Lewis, he, he wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he describes all four different loves. Um, but the one I want to focus on is the love called agape. Now, I've practiced that word so hard. I hope I got it right. We actually had quite a fun time trying to figure that out. And I think my daughter came up with the best one. It was agape. I know, it's good. Um, So love, agape love. So C.S. Lewis describes it as a a selfless love, a love that was passionately committed to the well-being of other, the highest level of love known to humanity. Love of this kind is an act of the will. Divine love. It is is. Agape is the only Greek word I know. So if you're looking at me going, whoa, some spiritual giant knows Greek, not a part of it. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I think, um, Barry, you you had this verse, 1 John 4, verse 8. God is love. That word love is actually the same word that's used. Exactly the same. Now, I guess you know where I'm going. And the the picture up there kind of says it all. What's, what's, what sent Jesus to the cross? Why did he do it? What was his purpose? What was his passionate reason? Well, for me, it's the ultimate representation of love. It's not the feelings kind, but the selfless kind. The kind that is passionately committed. The kind that is patient and kind the kind that hopes and endures, and the kind that will last forever. And it's this love that's freely given to all of us.
All we have to do is accept it. So, the thing with accepting his love is we also have other things that we can accept as well. One of those things is forgiveness. And I know when I look at the cross, I think of forgiveness. Because that's what he did. He took our stuff, our bad stuff away. And he provided a way for us to, to walk to God. The thing is, that gift of forgiveness is also free. It doesn't cost us really anything. It costs Jesus everything. So the question is, do you want it? Do you want love? Do you want forgiveness? Now, I, I've been thinking about this through the week. And I do truly believe there's a couple of people here. And it kind of ties in a little bit with what you were saying at the beginning, Trish. There's, there's a couple of people here, literally a couple of people here, who just want to experience this love for the first time. To, to push into it, to understand it, just to almost bathe in it. There's, a, there's about five or six other people that this love was a major part of their life for a long time, but it has kind of drifted. And his invitation to you is to turn back around so you can see the smile that he has for you, so you can see the love in his eyes, and so you can receive everything he has. John 1, 4, verse 8. I love that verse. If ever we wanted to know what love is, it says God is love. Yeah. So that's it. Simple as that. I think what will be good, before I hand back to Matt, he might want to lead us through something. Who knows? But what I want you to do is literally take a moment. Take a moment to have a think and have a ponder about what you've just heard. Perhaps it was a word that I said. Perhaps it was many words that the others said. And take it with you into this week. You might want to write it down. I wouldn't trust your memory. I don't trust my memory. Let it be the thing that carries you forwards. This is, this is only part way through, right? This love thing is only a, a taste. Yes, we may have got to the end of the Kit Kat, but there's so much more out there to experience. There's a lot more chocolate. A lot more different flavours as well. I'll stop analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Why don't we stand together? Let's just stand What I'd like us to do is uh, is take a moment, as as Paul encouraged us encouraged us to do, um, and there may be something that has um, particularly resonated, particularly grabbed your heart. And let me add this to it as well. When we read through that whole First Corinthians, it it does it dances around a little bit around um, talks about prophecies. It you know it it uh, talks about lots of different things. 
But the one thing that it says there is uh, love never fails. And um, it just states it right there in the middle. It just says love never fails. And my guess would be, as I think Paul said, is that um, many have, um, have been hurt by, by something tying in with love. They've been you know, let down or there's been hurt there in some way. And you think, well, hang on, love failed me. And here's, here's the thing. Love never fails. We're just, we're just not perfect at loving. We're on this journey of, of learning to love. And so we get it right sometimes and we don't get it right other times. As you know, Karen was saying, love is... It's all about the other. And how much of our day do we think life is all about us? And that's why our love is imperfect. And there's, if, you, you know, if you hang around this church for a while, almost certainly someone's going to annoy you, possibly offend you, because we're just imperfect people trying to do the best we can. We've had people already leave church because they go, I can't stand going anymore because so-and-so's there. Um, which is sad. But what I'd call us to, just in these last few minutes as we finish, is let's just, in our inner person, you know, in that place where we make those resolutions, let's resolve today to be people that grow in love. Just to... Just to feel like next year we're going to look back and we go, I love better than I did a year ago because I committed to stepping in and become someone who learned how to love. So I want to just take a moment there. Do you want to just do your little thing you do, Jason? So, and just, um, it's just, just in, the, in the quiet of this moment here, it might be something else that was said, or it might be just what I've shared now, but let's just spend a moment, just us and God, and resolve to grow in love. So God, hear our prayers. God, help us 
help us to get over where others haven't loved us and it's and it's brought pain and wounding hurt confusion and fear god help us help us to work through that and god i pray to by your, the power of your spirit may your spirit empower us each one of us to be a person that grows in love that each day just that little bit more we let go of serving ourselves and a little bit more to serving others a little bit less of wanting what's best for us and a little bit more of wanting what's best for another we're so wired to be selfish God we need your power we need the work of the, uh, the Spirit of God in our lives. And we say yes to them. May we be a people that learns how to love. God, you are love. We thank you that you are love. We, we thank you that we can love because you first loved us. And we thank you that your love is available. It is freely given. It is always given. And out of that, our love can flow. Amen. All right, everyone. That's church for today.